The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. The scripture reading for today comes from Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. You may be seated. If you are kindergarten through fifth grade and you'd like to join us for Children's Church, you can meet us over um, at the back right. Thank you, Emily. I know it's not fair that I get to take off my mask when you have to leave yours on, but it feels really good. You guys are going to get to feel that in 30 minutes or so. It feels really good. Um, we've been working through the book of Philippians. It's an incredible book. And the text that we come to today is maybe the most significant portion of it, other than the Christ hymn that we just studied. You see, when you become a Christian, you start to ask the question, is my life enough compared to what I've been given? Am I trying hard enough compared to what I've been given? And most of us, if we really look at our hearts, will say, oh, we've been rescued by the unmerited, glorious favor and grace of God And we have not lived up to it. This morning, Paul will address that specific dynamic, and I hope it will leave you full of hope. Let's pray and ask God to bless our study of His Word this morning. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Pour out Your Holy Spirit. Pour out Your grace. We want to be changed. It's in Jesus' matchless name that we pray. Amen. In order for you to get a picture of the dynamic of grace-based sanctification, what that means is, is that are you responsible for changing your life after you become a Christian, or is God responsible for changing your life after you become a Christian? In order for you to get a sense of how people tend to feel about that, I'm going to tell you two quick stories, and I want you to listen carefully because I have to pay my kids when I use their names in the sermon. And this one's going to cost me $3, okay? If you are my sons, Knox and Cormac, when we tell them to go and clean their room, you go back there and you walk into their bathroom and you're certain that that's where cholera or COVID came from. You step on Legos. When you see the dresser, they have yanked out all of their clothes just to find one single jersey. 
And so when they go back to look at their room, having been told to clean it, they are totally overwhelmed, and they fall to the ground, and they say, it's never going to happen. And sometimes, every once in a while, I'll go back there with them, and I'll say, listen, I'll work as long as you work. When you're cleaning, I'll clean. And I'll start helping them, and we'll slowly start cleaning the room. And every once in a while, I'll be cleaning, and I'll look up, and they're playing with the Legos that they're supposed to be putting away. Or they're laying on their back, staring at the ceiling. And I look at them and I say, I'm going to stop cleaning if you stop cleaning. Some of us feel like that's how God is with our sanctification, our change process to make us more like Jesus. That God is willing to help, God is willing to change us, but if we stop trying, He'll stop trying. That's one vision of it. The other vision of sanctification that process by which God makes us more like Jesus. The other thought is Carson, my five-year-old baby girl. She loves to make a mess of her room. She tears it apart. All the costumes are down, uh, the little toy kitchen, the dollhouse, all of it's torn apart. And when we send her back to her room to clean, she flips out. She throws a temper tantrum. She screams and wails and kicks at the door. And eventually, while she's in there not cleaning, she screams so hard that she passes out asleep. She's been told to make what is ugly new, to make what is messy clean, and she fights it so hard that she passes out. And her mom goes in and feels compassion for her, sees her lying on her bed, oh, look how cute she looks, from screaming herself to sleep. And her mom cleans her room around her while Carson sleeps. And Carson wakes up to a clean room like it's magic. That's the other way people feel about sanctification, is that I can't do it, I'll never get this clean. I can't even try without making things worse. And we just give up. And then magically we wake up and we're sanctified. We're changed. It's all better. And what Paul is going to show us here in this passage, that it's neither when you stop working, God stops working. As if some irritated father, who's, I'm not going to do anything you're not going to do. It's not that. And it's not this process by which we complain and cry about it long enough that God's like, all right, I'll do everything. You just sleep. That it's more nuanced than that. And so I want you to stay with me as we look at what it means for God to change us slowly over time. I want to give you this verse as we start. This verse comes from Ezekiel 36, if you want to look it up later. Ezekiel 36. The reason that I tell you this is because I want you to have sort of a a backdrop. Uh, I want you to have a context. When we talk about what God does, what we do, who's responsible for what, I I want you to have it in the back of your mind that this is the Old Testament picture of what we're talking about. This is the Old Testament picture of what we're talking about. For I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all the countries and I will bring you into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you will be clean from all your own filth, from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and I will give you a new spirit and put my spirit within you and I will take away 
the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my ordinances and do them, and you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. What phrase did you hear in that passage over and over and over again? I will. God talking to the Israelites saying, you need to be changed, you need to be redeemed, and I will do it. I will rescue you. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit. And not only that, I will, in my spirit that's within inside you, I will move you to keep my laws and my commands. I give you that as a context, a backdrop for what we're studying is because thinking of it is as we're supposed to do it all or God, we don't have to do anything because God will do it all. He's in charge of the entire process. When we sin and we're not supposed to sin, He will bring us conviction and He grows us in that way. And when we try and fight our sin and we actually are victorious and He gives us grace, to overcome a sin, then He gives us grace that way. It's all His process for which we participate. And He says, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. Listen in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So here's what it means to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't mean work for your salvation. Not work for your salvation. How do we know? Because Paul has just told us about he who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. It would be undoing what Paul had just said is look to the Son, look to the cross to see what He's done to set you free and then for Paul in the next verse to turn and say, and now it's on you. You earn this. And sadly, that's what so many of us feel like. That to grow in grace is this heavy burden placed on our shoulders that we're never going to live up to. And so instead of being smiley and happy like a new Christian, you remember that? The first time you encountered grace? That sense of freedom and hope. Most of us just walk around with our heads hung and, our, and we're shamed. And He's saying to us, work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. Your salvation's finished in Christ. Now work to apply it to every aspect. When you're at work, when you're at home, with your spouse, with your children, with your enemies, with the culture, work out what is true. Work it into every crevice of your life. He's saying, apply this everywhere you can get your hands on it. Work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. One of the commentators quotes Augustine who says this, our deeds are our own because of the free will producing them. Our deeds are our own because of the free will producing them. And they are also God's because of His grace causing our free will to produce them. 
God makes us do what He pleases by making us desire what we might not desire. That's what He's saying. God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. He's saying He's not just going to cause you to do the work for God's pleasure. It's also going to change your will. He's changing you inside and outside for God's good pleasure. And He calls this calls them to this high honor of participating in their change. Listen to how he does it. He doesn't say, now y'all get it right or I'm coming back after you. How did he say it? Therefore, my beloved. You see, he's reminding them that they're loved by Christ. They're loved by Paul. And so out of your safeness, your security... Out of the sense that there is no fear of damage, there is no fear of condemnation. Out of your safety, out of your lovedness, belovedness, then go and work. Because when you fail, it doesn't matter. God is with you. When you try and succeed, you'll be happy and you'll thank God for it. God is with you. He is saying, now don't work for your salvation because you have to. Work out your salvation Because you get to. Because there's no longer any condemnation. He says, my beloved. And he asks them to obey consistently. You heard him say it. In my presence or in my absence. Paul has left Philippi now. And as Paul's left Philippi and he's in a jail, he's heard that there's kind of rumblings and disunity in the church. And he's saying, you've always been a great church Keep being a great, loving, unified church, even though I'm not there. So He calls us to obey out of the security of being loved. He calls us to be consistent in our obedience, whether people are watching us or not. Are you the same person by yourself as you are in community? And then He calls us to take it seriously. He calls us to wear ourselves out for it. His words are, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now that's where, if you are unfamiliar with the Bible, that's where you'd hear, I knew it. That as soon as we make a mistake, bam, He's going to pop us one. We're supposed to live all the time in fear and in trembling. That's not what He's saying. What He's saying, it's a reference to the Exodus story. It's reverence and awe. He knows that we don't have to be afraid because Christ has just, he's just talked about how Christ has paid the punishment and now Christ will be exalted and we will be exalted with him. There's no fear in that sense. He says, do this in awe of who it is that you serve. Do this with reverence in who it is that you serve. This is his point. Moses, by God's power, brought down ten plagues on Egypt. Ten plagues. They watched the greatest army in the entire world be smashed to pieces. And then he got the people and they ran out of Egypt. And even though they were being chased, God opened up the Red Sea and they could cross on dry land. And then the people watched, turned to watch as the water crashed in on Pharaoh's army. The only thing left in the world that could hurt them and God's grace rescued them by crashing the waters in all around them so that the Israelites were safe and the Egyptians were dead. And basically the Israelites are standing there like, whoa. They're being reintroduced to their God. They thought 
Pharaoh or his gods were gods. And, he, and they're saying for the first time, whoa, not only can this God destroy Pharaoh and his God, this God is actually for us. Whoa. And what he's calling for you and I to do is to live out of that reverence and awe. Not fear as in you're going to get hurt. We've already declared that that's not going to happen in Christ. This awe and reverence, meaning it's not just you and Jesus, your buddy. He is your friend, and it says that in the New Testament, but He's so much more. He's the living God. And so it's saying, you've got this guy behind you who can do anything, and this guy inside of you who will work to help you. Take it seriously. Soberly, seriously. He's saying, look how seriously I took your salvation. Now, how seriously will you take my mission? He wants us to work out our salvation from a place of security consistently. And then also he wants us to take it seriously. But the reason that he does is because he says, for it is God who works in you. Hang with me. Listen to this. He says, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's saying, work sincerely, work consistently, work seriously because it is God who works in you, in you. He's saying God will help you on the outside and God will help you on the inside. One pastor I know described it this way is that sort of we like to keep the unmerited favor of God turned up to about volume five and then work out your salvation turned up to about five. And that way we keep it pretty balanced. And he said, some places in the church, they crank up God's grace to 10 and they crank down our call to respond in obedience down to one because, you know, God's going to do it all. God's going to do it all. Or there are some places in the church where you crank down God's grace to one and you crank up that discipleship to 10 and say, you better respond right. And this pastor said, basically, the call of the Bible is that you turn up that unmerited favor of God to volume 10 and you leave it there. Because nothing is ever going to change God's affection for you. And because nothing's ever going to change God's affection for you, you turn up that radical discipleship to volume 10 and you obey. Not because you have to. Get this. Not because you have to, but because you get to. Changes from duty to delight. Now you know I'm never going to be condemned and God is outside of me and inside of me working on me. And even if I fail, He's going to pick me up. I get to do this. Part of our growing in grace is that we, our posture changes towards obedience and we're happy about it. The same teacher said, we think of holiness as broccoli in the sky. It's good for us, but we just don't want to eat it. And he's saying it will begin to change for you when you think of holiness is this beautiful response that you get to give to God out of gratitude. It is God who works in you. His good and fatherly pleasure. Sorry, let me fix that. There we go. John Murray says it this way. Because God works, we work. God's working in us is not suspended because we work, nor our working suspended because God works. 
Listen to this. Neither is the relation strictly one of cooperation, as if God did his part and we did ours. God works and also we work. But the relation is that because God works, we work. Because Jesus came to rescue you from your sin and you are rescued, you start to begin to live like it. There's rebukes for all of us in here. Some of you are fighting hard at sin, some particular sin in your life, and you're battling with it. And it's so complicated, and it's so difficult, and it's so overwhelming, and you're pouring yourself into it, and you think, I'm never going to change. God is with you, and He's inside you. And it says, He who began a good work will bring it to completion. It is God who works in you. Don't give up. And there are also those of us who know grace. In fact, we've been immersed in grace our whole lives and we think God has been so good to us and He's so amazing. I I don't even really have to try. I don't have to try for this obedience. Isn't that Old Testament stuff? And He's saying, you're missing the point. You don't have to obey. Christ did that for you. You get to obey. You get to live a life that shines like stars in the heavens is what he says. You get to live a life that gives forth life to others. You get to do this. Practically speaking, in my experience as a pastor and as a Christian, when you pray about a specific sin in your life, it does not necessarily guarantee that that's what he's going to work on. So I want you to know that. Because you could say, God, get rid of this lust in my life. Get rid of these eyes that are adulterous. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. And it may take years of work and community and counseling and prayer and the means of grace. And you look up and you don't feel like you've made that much progress. Except now you're praying and now you hate your sin. And now you want to be righteous. And now you help others who are discouraged. So just because he doesn't pick at the same thing you pick at, don't give up. He works, and so because of that, we work. He works, and so because of that, we work. He doesn't always pick the timing or the particular sin that you would like to work on because he knows that if he did... And he gave you victory over it immediately. You go, man, nailed it. Any other sin I need to knock over? And instead, he is more interested in you developing a joyful dependence on him than he is eradicating all the sin out of your life. As we've talked about before, John Newton said and Barbara Duguid said, if the Holy Spirit's primary job was to rip all the individual sin out of your life, He's not doing a very good job, is He? The Holy Spirit's primary job is to cause in you a joyful dependence and humility, dependence upon Christ. So that when you win, when you get past a temptation, you can say, God, I know that was you at work in me, and I'm so grateful you're changing me, and give me more, I want more holiness. Or when you fail and you fall on your face and you mess it up and you embarrass yourself and maybe embarrass others, you can go, God, I need more of your presence. 
More of your grace. More of your transformation. But either way, God is deepening your dependence upon Him. So in your moments of strength or your moments of weakness, God is strong. Why? Why does God rescue us, teach us humility, teach us unity, teach us to wear ourselves out for the kingdom, not because we have to, but because we can. Why? So that we can shine like stars in the heaven. So that people who are far off will be brought near. For people who feel lowly or left out or unlikely will think, if those people can find rescue, if those people can find salvation in God, maybe I can too, and will shine like stars in the heavens. And He doesn't want us to grumble and complain like the Israelites did. The Israelites are saved in all the magnificent ways that we talked about, and then they go, but what about our food? We don't like our food. And He's saying, don't look at all, of God, all that God has done, and then grumble because you know God is at work. And he says to us, don't look at all the salvation of Jesus being in very nature God. Did not equality, count equality with God something to be grasped. Made himself nothing. He's saying in light of that, don't turn and grumble. But live lives of steady, joyful gratitude and patience with others so that you can shine like stars. And you'll be patient because you know when other people sin, that could have been me. Or that was me, or that will be me, so I can be patient with others. In lives of gratitude, knowing I've been rescued from my own demise by a God who is so for me, He gave up His Son. Who cares whatever else this life looks like? I'm just so grateful that He's my God. And it deepens in you more and more. We'll close with two things. This first one is a long quote, and I know that it's very hard to be read to, but I want you to hang in there with me. It's from Barbara Duguid. I'm reading her book, Extravagant Grace, and it's the best explanation I've heard of this grace-based sanctification I've ever heard. Um, And so hang in there and listen to this, and then I'll give you a story and we'll close. She says, If I think I'm cooperating with him in this joint pursuit of holiness, how can I not take some credit for my progress? She says, yet, if I recognize that I'm a saint one minute and a wretched sinner the next, I can see more clearly that all of my obedience comes from Him and that without Him, I can quite literally do nothing. Listen to her analogies. The Holy Spirit is not a switch you can turn on or off. He is not a tool you can choose to apply or ignore. He is not a co-pilot sitting beside you, ready to help you if you really need Him. He is the holy, powerful, active Spirit of the living God, and He will always have His way with you. He is always at work in you, with or without your cooperation or permission, shaping you according to His will and His agenda. Sometimes He grants you fresh grace and power for obedience to show what He can actually do in you. And sometimes He turns you over to yourself to discover how weak and helpless and sinful you are still in yourself. Either way, He's always actively at work in you for God's glory and your own good. Always at work, active in you. 
I thought sanctification was like a cozy coop. A cozy coop for the parents out there. For those that don't know, a cozy coop is those little red cars you see kid in that have the yellow top. And you can push a kid in a cozy coop and they can take that steering wheel, left, right, whatever, and nothing is happening. You're still in total control. And so even though the kid feels like they're having a great time, they're totally safe because God is in control. And I thought that that's what the vision was, that the, the vision is, I don't really have to do anything. I don't have to be careful about the wheel because somebody else is driving. But we have this tricycle, this red, beautiful tricycle, and it's got this long pole that comes out the end of it, and it's a steering wheel attached down here to a tricycle. And the weird thing about this tricycle is is that he can turn the wheel, and I can turn the wheel. And so he'll go running down a hill, and I'm like this, trying to keep it straight. He participates, and I guide, and correct, and push, and give momentum to And regardless of what he does or how bad of driver he is, we are going to move forward because I'm at the wheel too. Friends, regardless of how discouraged or slow progress or beaten down you feel, he who began a good work in you will bring it to conclusion. And that is good news. Let's pray. God, teach us to obey, not because we have to, but because we get to. Change what is dutiful into a delight for us. When we're discouraged, remind us that you are at work within us. When we actually make progress, remind us that you're the one driving and cause us to be humble. Would you cause the people in this room to shine like stars so that those who are far off might be brought near? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.